Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Matthew Hernandez. Matthew is the CEO and president of Seraph Dental Management. Matthew has opened and operated 35 dental practices in both Texas and Washington State, including five dental laboratories. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hello, Russ. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. So you have a very unique story that's going to be very interesting and eye-opening to a lot of people. So you have opened 35 practices in, in Texas and Washington State. You are 38 years old. You've opened five dental labs. You are no longer a practicing dentist. You are now a dental coach. And so, Matthew, tell me, where did you go to dental school? (laughs) Well, it's actually funny. I started uh, when I was uh, young, very young, even younger than I am now, which I was in my teens. And uh, yeah, so I went to two different schools. Uh, One was at the uh, school in uh, Ontario, Canada, which is called uh, George Brown. And another school in Washington State uh, called Bates Technical. So that's where I got majority of my training to be. A, well, so basically, it's a denturist is my background designation and understanding clinical and laboratory and working with patients that need uh, removable prosthetics. So let's talk about what a denturist is because I had never heard of one before I met you, and right. I, I'm sure some people have, but I'm sure a lot of people haven't. So tell people what a denturist is. Yeah, so an insurance is a, I was related to like a mid-level provider. So it's an individual that has to go to a school uh, of some sort in a recognized state uh, in the United States uh, or even Canada. And basically they educate themselves. They go through about a year and a half, two years of training and they take a state board. Their limited licensure allows them to practice directly with the general public to diagnose and replace missing teeth. So that's basically the the thought process behind it. Now, in some states, there's only, I believe, seven states that are legal for dentures to practice. Now, in Washington state, a dentures can practice and own his own office and actually see patients without having to have a referral. Um, basically, the state licensure there requires them to have extended experience, uh, understanding radiographs and being able to diagnose on their own. But they don't do anything with the natural dentition of the mouth. They just replace whatever's missing and then they can make suggestions or referrals themselves. Uh, for certain patients to go get care if uh, they need it. So it's a specialized niche. I'm going to call it a specialized dentistry. Some people would say it's not dentistry because he's not a DDS, but that's besides the point. But you have certain things that you can do, certain things you can't do. You specialize in those things, and you create a model where you built 35. And I really appreciate your honesty before because you're like, now 35 worked. So talk about what you built and how you built it. Yeah, so I actually learned that from my dad. So he had multiple practices, around 28 of them. And growing up in the clinic, he I had a really dedicated focus in life. I wasn't like normal kids. I was very introverted. So I learned from him. He had put me in positions of 
working with him chair side, writing chart notes, moving it forward with, with patient care and understanding what we need to do to condense the schedule. So when he had his uh, practices, he ended up selling them all at one point, just decided to transition out and get into a different field. He got into the oil industry, which is pretty amazing. But for me, I had a lifelong passion for dentistry. So what I did was I created a similar concept. Back then, it was more of a DMSO type thought process before the DSO kind of became a cliche. Um, so I would just work with uh, G, you know, DDSs, uh, periodontists, prosthodontists. Those kind of work hand in hand with the denturist, uh, just because the denturist patient's base basically needs um, surgeries and implants and bone grafts and sinus lifts and all those types of things. So I would I would uh, work with them, and we'd open up practices uh, either myself and a colleague. So we put them in certain locations throughout Washington State, and I learned the hard way, you know, to understand things like why you would open up in one location and not the other, and what you know individual demographics will dictate in terms of your level of care to people because it just goes back to revenue and discretion. So, yeah, I ended up opening up those practices with individuals. Uh, some of them, we turned them into full-blown just general offices where we had the GP, we had the periodontist, and we had a, they would kind of migrate between the group. And uh, the dentures was the same thing. So it was it turned them into full-blown dental centers, basically. And then the laboratory element kicked in as we started to grow because I didn't want to have to worry about third parties. And I wanted to control that quality just because of my background. It's like I didn't want to just accept anything, you know, putting in somebody's mouth just because it was cheap. So we had our own internal lab element, and then I managed and grew that as well. So that's really, really exciting and really, really interesting. Now, what's even another wrinkle is your third generation denturist. So <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, my story in dentistry is funny. It, it starts out pretty young. I was actually in my teens. My dad was working on tribal land in Texas. They had a practice there. And um, he had wanted to start practicing in other states or actually in states that were it was legal. So he didn't have to work on a tribal uh, piece of land. So he had told me when I was 13 that he needed me to help train him on how to educate enough so he could pass his state board in Canada or his board in Canada. And then that license would transfer over to Washington. So at the age of 13 is when this all started, technically. Um, so I was doing lab work and cleaning up and following him around. And then I was learning everything to do with being a denturist in Canada. Um, it was a remote program. So basically what happened, he got me in there. We had to take a test. You know, we went to a, a, a testing center at one of the universities. I think it was University of Texas. I passed it. I was at 13 years old. I passed this test. So I was in it with him, which was funny. But yeah, I remember going through grade school, studying oral facial anatomy, pathophysiology, head and neck anatomy. You know, I get picked on by the kids and my teacher's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm studying this coursework. I was kind of bored with school in general. So I, I was doing that at night. I would study during the day, do my normal class studies, go home at night. My dad would be working and uh, I would be educating him on, on all these um, ologies, basically. And uh, from there is kind of how it started to grow for me. It's just a love of patience and, and creating a stress-less environment in a practice, whether it's denturist or GPs, which everything kind of turned into the GP world for me and just general dentistry because I loved it so much. So. Um, yeah, that's basically where I got my start and uh, started growing from there, working at every position in a practice. So it seems like I mean, if you're able to grow it to, you know, 35 practices, even if, you know, if you didn't make it, you obviously understood systems and business and management. So talk a little bit about, you know, your experience on operating a practice and what have been some of your keys to success in that regard? Yeah, so. 
when you're working in that type of an environment, for me, in order to do that, I had to do it de novo. So they're all from scratch. There's really no practices that you can open. And I can't you know, acquisition an existing GP practice on my own. So I'd have to have a, a dental partner. Um, so what I had to learn how to do was to create dental practices with, with nothing, literally from scratch. Uh, you open one office and learn how to rush and basically you create your own budget. Uh, you learn KPIs. You understand what's important for that specific practice with that team and that flow of patients. So I started creating my own Excel spreadsheets and figuring this out. This again, it's always that when I was in my teens and I was, you know, working with my my family and then myself. Um, but yeah, so you keep cruising along and you start understanding, okay, I want to open up more practices. How am I going to do it? How much do I need? How much is equipment? Can I get used equipment? Uh, what do I need to do for construction? I can't afford that. So how do I do that? So I ended up doing a lot of that as well. I did a lot of the build out, the design, uh, the construction, if I needed to in some cases. So yeah, you really realize by making tons of mistakes how the best to way it. to learn that's the, the only way to, way to learn you got it right and that's where you know people like myself are very unique in a sense because it's it's an investment of time uh, it's not necessarily money but it's like i always tell people if you're willing to invest time into it you can get it the same way versus having to pay for it but for me time is so valuable it doesn't make any sense to have to struggle and go through all those trials and errors when you have leaders out there in the industry that can help coach you and guide you to keep you from go, having to go through it and learn it in the same way. Because it does something to a person. You've got to be very special to keep at it and not give up when things fail. That's good. That's really, really good. So now you transitioned a few years ago from basically denturist to coach. So talk a little bit about that. Talk a little about what Sarah Dental Management does. Yes. Yeah, so actually I created Serif Dental Management back in 2009. And the goal for that was really to create it into its own DSO. What I ended up doing is I started having children. It's like, I don't want to have to be working 24 seven like I used to, because that was my work ethic. I'm from Texas, you know, after all. So that's what we do. We're, we got some hardcore work ethic down here. But um, Serif Dental Management basically is poised to be in a position where we can work with existing practices, be it GP or Perio or Prosto or even Denturist uh, or Dental Laboratories for that matter. And work with the individual to find out what they are, what they want to get out of life. So having gone through what I went through and working way harder than I should have been, you know, that whole philosophy of work smarter, not harder type of thing just didn't apply to me. I worked harder regardless. <laughs> so what I like to focus on is helping people achieve success in practice and freedom in practice. That's the goal. Uh, working remotely is one of the things that I started to do just due to COVID and traveling to locations. So people across the United States, uh, they need services, they need support, they need coaching. With the massive issue in the industry right now that's going on with HR, that's another thing that I focus on because, again, I played those roles. I know what it's like to be a front office, a manager, an insurance coordinator, all those things. And the back office, too, being and having been in surgeries quite a bit with a lot of amazing specialists, that's where I like to sh I shine the most. So I like to do a lot of hand-holding, growing people, creating relationships, and minimizing to get you know, almost non-existent stress in a practice is my goal. What do you see as the biggest challenge for dentists who become your coaching clients, what is the biggest area of improvement for them? So the biggest thing I feel is is letting go of, of certain processes. And I've, I've been there. I've seen it before. Like you, a lot of the times you feel like you've got to micromanage everything because you might. I, I liken it to dating. Put it that way. It's like you might have had a bad date. And after that, it's like, I don't trust anybody. You know, and it's the same when you're an owner and, and a practice like you might have trusted that one special person and they might have done something wrong, might have embezzled. They might have messed up the schedule or it might have gotten, you know, a little irritated with other team members or just did something to not, you know, please the practice's goal. And then after that, they just end up doing it all themselves. And the reality is dentistry is not that hard. 
but it takes special people. It's literally your team that will drive you and your vision of your future success towards that direction. So I feel a lot of the times they just don't want to let go. And and that's where I like to come in and show them that you can. And I'll show you how to get there because there are people out there that you can make accountable, but it just depends on understanding who they are and then nurturing that relationship. How hard is it for people to let go? I mean, people, business owners are control freaks, many of them. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's it's almost uh, in the impossible realm, <laughs> but it is, it is something that does happen, uh, especially with startup doctors. Like for me, I've done so many startups. I know how it works. And from scratch, it's a ton of stress. Does it have to be? No, but you have to know people like myself and other amazing industry leaders that are out there that can help coach you through that process. So you don't have to sit there and be on the Facebook forums or be online trying to research it and losing your hair and just stressing all the time. So if you start from scratch, for example, it's easy, especially if you have good mentors and coaches that can handle all this stuff or a director, you know, in the beginning, helping you get through that. Uh, but existing providers, again, it just depends. Uh, some people, they they can let it go if they know that they trust you and it makes it easier. But that's one of the things that I think is missing out there in the industry. It's, it's about passion. It's there, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be in folks. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see the, the people and some the, the way they struggle with certain things. And it's so funny because you're not taught business. You're not taught systems in, in, in dental school. You're only taught the clinical stuff. And you find the people who are the most successful, in my experience, are the ones who have figured out how to do business. Um, because ultimately, if you want to grow, you have to replace yourself, hire some associates, and you don't do dentistry. You just manage the business. And right. so, uh, but a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people struggle with that. It's it's interesting to say the least. Yeah, a lot of it goes back to talent acquisition because there's, I mean, the talent pool is, I don't, I think it's drying up. I mean, it's just one of those things that people have learned what the industry's like, and it's just harder to find individuals that have this background experience and then that drive to, to move you forward. And then you fast forward to today and you've got different generations that are coming on board. It's a different thought process. It's a different work ethic. I mean, we've got, we're living in an age where people swipe left and right and, you know, they're looking through, you know, thousands of different things that are hitting them on their phone and email the attention span isn't like it used to be where people would focus on one task and get it done. So it's another you know factor, but there's always ways around that too. What exactly is a virtual operations director? Yes. Yeah, so a virtual operations director basically puts someone in place, i.e. myself, um, of a practice, whether you're in a startup or you're in an existing facility. Um, and let's just say you're at a, at a tipping point if you're in an existing office. Uh, like and I've, I've had plenty of conversations recently with some providers. Uh, like I can't get past a million. I don't know why. I get all these practices and I can't get past a million. I've heard that one before. Uh, so the goal is to find out why. And it takes an individual, again, that has that background knowledge and experience of running big organizations like that, handling multiple you know, personnel. So what I do is I find out exactly what's going on. What do you want out of your practice? What do you want out of your life? And then go into detail about uh, what are the KPIs in your practice? You know, Do you know about collections and production? Oddly enough, that's a, a question that I get a lot of deer in the headlights. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, now we know. I know exactly where I need to focus <laughs> my efforts because understanding the health of your practice and, and specific indicators is what's going to help you make those decisions. So that's what I do. I do it remotely most of the time, again, just because of COVID and that's how it's been. But it's worked so well for me. I can pretty much travel across the U.S. and, and uh, be able to coach practices remotely as an operations officer. And what type of what are, what are some of the more important KPIs? So ideally, you know, you got to know what your collections and your production is um, and AR 
you know, that's one of the big things I've, I've had practices that are like, hey, I got over 500,000 in AR, but we're doing really good. Like, oh, my God, are you serious? Do you know what that means? And it's like, yeah, it's not that bad. So ideally, it's like being educated and understanding the, the meat and potatoes. You know, do you know what you're collecting? Do you know what your write-offs are, your adjustments? Do you know uh, what you're giving away? And that's another thing I didn't, you know, a lot of doctors, even myself, when I was in, in the field, was like, how much am I giving away? Because I love to give and take care of people. And hey, free x-ray, free pano. But you add that up at the end of the month. How much did you actually give away? And it, sometimes it adds up to being enough to buy a car, <laughs> you know, so then you, you tend to not do that as much. Um, so literally, it's just understanding those specific KPIs and dealing with that AR. Don't let it get out of control. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's like, uh, you know, it just goes back to like what I've said before. What we said is you just have to understand the business side, the financial side. And, and a lot of people don't, unfortunately, for whatever reason. Maybe they're just, they haven't learned it. And, but you know, the people who do, it makes a big difference. So what would you say, how many people struggle with the people management side of it? What's, what's going on? How many people really, I've met people who want to sell their practice because they hate managing people. What's your take on people management? Well, I would say don't give up. Not everybody's made for that. And when you think back on it, doctors are clinicians. In a sense, most of them are introverted. You know, you're, you're more of a scientist. You know, you, you like working with, with teeth and, you know, it's not really a people related type of a thought process. So when, when doctors come out or any clinician for that matter, you come out, even hygienists, you know, you have to in, in, interact with your team and you have to interact with your with your patients. So some people just aren't made for that. And even if you are. Why would you have to deal with that stuff? I mean, you can do it because you want to, but ideally, if you're not, if you don't feel like an associate in your own practice, then there's some serious changes that need to be made. And again, it goes back to finding the talent, uh, finding someone that can oversee that, that you can rely on. Um, so that's, that's another big challenge that I find out there. So like what advice to the average dentist who's listening to this right here? And, you know, maybe they're, maybe they want to grow, maybe they're struggling. What advice would you give to them? Well, I would say that um, there, there is help out there, um, and it, it's one of those feelings that when you're in it, you're in it. You're in this massive tunnel vision. You know, just imagine you're in a looking through a cylinder all day long. I mean, you're looking through loops half the time. So you, when you do finally look up, you're exhausted. I remember going through days where we were seeing patients and doing surgeries at the end of the day, and then I'm just literally laying on the floor in the back going, oh, my God, I got to get up and go look at the insurance. I got to go see what they did. But did they bill it right? Let me see if my notes were there. Did they send the referrals? It's just constant. So, I mean, you're working 20-hour days because that's your baby. You know, that's your life. So I would tell them, like, there is people out there, but you got to understand that you have to make the investment. And the investment in that talent acquisition to help you grow your practice is for your future success. And don't look at it like it's, oh, it's a big debt burden on me. It's like, well, it's not. Because if you do that, you bring people in, they take the stress off of you and you'll watch your, it's like a flower. You'll just watch it grow. It's just almost like you're watering it, but you've got to make the investment to find that talent to get yourself to where you want to get to that next level. What advice would you give to a brand new dental school graduate? I would tell them that they can do it. You don't necessarily have to go out and join the DSOs or or get into these big multiple group practices and make peanuts in the beginning. If you feel entrepreneurial, do it. You're going to be fine. You have to understand that you, you, there's a lot of steps that you can go through. Those are, that's another area that I specialize in, but don't shut yourself short. Uh, if you have that passion, you've got that fire, you're a good people person. Um, and you feel like you're a decent leader, you know, you don't really have to be much of a leader. You just have to be able to talk to people and, and look out for their interests. Then get out there and, and look at starting up a practice. There's, there's plenty of locations that you can either acquisition. 
uh, and get off on your own, basically, instead of having to go through these groups. But if you don't feel that and you do want to go through these groups, it's not a bad deal. You just got to look for good you know, DSO models that will fit your need. Um, and they don't tend to run your ragged, basically. So I, I would understand. I would want them to understand that there's options for you. But don't shut yourself short if you feel like you might want to own your practice. Matthew, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or talk to you more, how would they do that? Yeah, you can find me online. I've got a website. It's uh, www.serafmillc.com, Serif Dental Management. You can look that up on Google. Uh, or you can call me personally on my cell. It's 214-223-1420. Say that one more time. That cell phone, phone number. Cell phone number is 214-223-1420. And last question, is a denturist model viable today? So again, it depends on the individual. So if it's a denturist and they want to, I mean, they're, they're having their practices. It is, and it, it's a very big need in, in the states that it's it's operating because every any clinician knows that that's not a fan of dentures. Dentures are tough. They they require tons of chair time. And in the grand scheme of things, you can generate way more uh, revenue by doing the meat and potatoes, drilling and filling, uh, even implants and root canals. So ideally, yes, it is. But again, it just depends on how the practice is designed. Uh, what the providers are doing and how they're doing it. Uh, but they will take off a lot of stress off of any dental practices plate by having to deal with the multiple repeat appointments that are necessary to make a denture candidate happy. Wow. Super fascinating. Matthew, I really appreciate your time coming on today. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Security products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. Guardian, New York, New York, PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032, California Insurance License Number OL10073, 2022-143408 expires 924. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.